0: Ezekiel is one of the great prophets of our Old Testament. He was born at an unfortunate time, almost 600 years before Jesus, a time when the glory of Israel had long departed, the days of King David and King Solomon, and the attempt to develop a nation that was true to the God who called them. But they had fallen, they had divided, they had fought against each other. The great kingdoms around them came down on them. Uh, The uh, Babylonian kingdom was the great one of Ezekiel's time. And they decided to attack Jerusalem and to show them who was boss. We've seen a little of this in our day. And they... Broke down the walls of Jerusalem, and Ezekiel saw that. Then they went for the temple, the symbol of God's presence with Israel, and they destroyed the temple. Then they went after the leadership. They killed some, they took the rest captive, took them all the way to Babylon to be a slave people. And they left a few poor people, and it was a mess. One day, Ezekiel had a vision as a prophet. And in the vision, the Lord lifted him up and showed him a valley. Not a sumptuous valley, but a dead valley. A valley of dry bones. It is one of the most impactful visions in the (coughs) whole Bible. It's rather short. You can read it in Ezekiel chapter 37 but the Lord showed Ezekiel this valley of dry bones the symbol of hopelessness and he said to Ezekiel the prophet can these bones live that's the challenging question can these bones live and then he demonstrated yes he will bring the people back but that vision of Ezekiel, and particularly these words, can these bones live, came to me this week as I was watching some of the awful pictures from the Ukraine of, uh, of bu- buildings that were hollowed and that were destroyed and in- not habitable. Can we see those buildings? Okay, there's one. Can these bones live? Or can these bones live? What awful destruction we're seeing. And I was wondering, could these people come back? They've shown so much strength and power, but can these bones live? So I was... um, forced to do some studying of history. And it's amazing that uh, there's a culture in the Ukraine that we've been totally blind to, at least I have. Our our friend uh, Ty says he made these eggs years ago, so he was more awake than me. But Ukraine was just a name. And we're familiar with the history of our church and how it fits into Protestant churches, some of us are barely aware of that, and then we're aware of Catholic churches and how different they are, but we hardly even know about the large body of Christians in this world who are called Orthodox, and among them are the Ukrainian Orthodox people. The Ukrainians were a Slavic group and had pagan history as Ty indicated, Uh, but when they became strong enough, the capital was actually at Kiev. then. They attacked Constantinople and they got familiar with the Orthodox Christian religion. And the emperor and all of his leadership converted to Christianity in the 11th century after Christ. Part of that was the building of some great buildings. And one of the most notable buildings had to do with a monastery that was located in a cave, and it's a place called Kiev-Pechersk-Lavra. That's a long word, but if you talk to anyone from that part of the world, they'll know exactly what you mean. This complex of Christian faith began as a cave monastery and it emerged to be one of the great churches of Ukraine and of the Orthodox faith. And this symbolized the faith of the Ukrainian people. And then came World War II. And that was a destruction of the Ukrainian cities that outdid what we are seeing now. As the Germans left and the Russians came in, the liberators, uh, this was so awful, the destruction, that John Steinbeck, the American author, made a trip in 1947 to just visit the great cities of Eastern Europe to witness the destruction. He wrote a whole book about this. He went with a photographer who took this picture of the Pechersk lavra Church. Awful. Here's what Steinbeck wrote. Now, it is a a great pile of fallen stones and tumbled domes with little bits of wall painting showing through. And listen to this, this is Steinbeck in 1947. It will not be rebuilt, it couldn't be. It took centuries to build and now it's gone. The weeds that followed destruction have sprung up in the courtyards. And he told in great detail the destruction that the Germans did to the churches of that area, including this great church. And uh, he talked about how ruthless the Germans were. Interestingly, in modern Ukrainian uh, orthodoxy and their restudy of history, they do not believe that the Germans did this. They believe the Russians did this when they came in to liberate Ukraine because at that time, Stalin was in charge and they were committed to stamp out Christian faith. I don't know about that, but Steinbeck certainly said it is absolutely hopeless. Now, I want you to wake John up, okay? John Steinbeck tapped him on the shoulder because he's got to see this next picture, Here is that church monastery complex today. I mean, it's just blossomed. Can these bones live? Well, yeah. So far, this beautiful facility has survived Russian attacks and hopefully will endure through this dark time. But if you look at history... Based on the past, can anyone doubt that whatever anybody does, these bones will live again? Because they've demonstrated that. This is not something new about the Ukrainian people. They've always had that muscle and that, that uh, and ability to renew and uh, refocus their goals. Can these bones live? In a sense, every generation has to ask and answer that question. That's how the church has been passed down through 2,000 years, through times of persecution and attempted eradication under the Romans and then others, through repeated corruption in leadership, through false teachings of every sort through wars and conflicts and swords and bombs and missiles through the Black Death plague of the 14th century and the COVID plague of the 21st century can these bones live in the Ukraine can these bones live in Altadena the people who make up the true living church of Jesus Christ, keep coming back. They can't be stopped. These bones will live, whether it's that church in the Ukraine or this church in Altadena. And and it's not that church building that's miraculous. Here's what we have to ask. We have to look at some people and say, can these bones live? Well, these are just random people we picked up. But it's all of us. Can God do anything with this kind of mess? Can God bring new life? Yes, He can. Okay, thank you. I'll close the sermon now. We're going to look at story in the Bible about an average family that Jesus befriended and how they experienced the meaning of his resurrection. It's found in John chapter 11. In the family we know about three siblings, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Well, Jesus loved all three of them and at one point in his ministry, Uh, people came when he was ministering in another area, and they said, Master, you've got to come. Lazarus is really, really sick. So in verse 11, we're going to pick it up. After saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to go there to awaken him. The disciples said, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death. But they thought he was referring merely to sleep. What's the big deal? Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Verse 17, when Jesus arrived he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days, like one of those broken-down buildings. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's real faith, actually. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But here's even more faith. Even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. She didn't even know what she was asking for. But Jesus responded to her heart call, verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha, because she had heard Jesus teaching, and Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So she believed that. But Jesus said, well, Jesus said, I am the resurrection, and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When Mary came, in verse 32 now, when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet. Now, this is the other sister. And she said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She said just what her sister had said. But she didn't go beyond that. When Jesus saw her weeping, he said, there, there. When he saw the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. Now, uh, we're not often told about Jesus' feelings. We're told about his behavior, his actions, his healings, his way of touching people, and then we're left to interpret them. But here we're told about his deep feelings He was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. If you were a kid growing up in a Sunday school like I was, you would feel pretty clever and smart if you knew the answer to the question, what's the shortest verse in the Bible? Yeah, in the King James Version, verse 35 simply says, Jesus wept. But it is profoundly brief. He wept. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. I'm not sure that's really what was going on. Let's go further in verse 37. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? So there's skepticism. Then Jesus again, greatly disturbed. It's mentioned again. He was disturbed in spirit. He he wept and he was greatly disturbed and he came to the tomb. It was a cave. And a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead for four days. What are you doing with my smelly brother? <laughs> Verse 40, Jesus said to her, and did I tell you that if you, would, if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you have sent me. When he said this, he cried with a loud voice, with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, come on down. Those of you who aren't familiar with why that was funny, talk to me later, okay? (laughs) The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, showing he was still helpless, his face, face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. And that's the way the story ends. No analysis, no interpretation, no application. Just, there he was. There are a lot of art artists who were fascinated by Lazarus, and they came up with some very macabre art. This is the most uplifting one I could find. It's actually by Van Gogh Gogh in 1890, a relatively modern artist, Uh, the two sisters... Uh, seeing their brother in his helplessness he didn't come out ready to run a race he was still helpless and I suspect still smelly now the interesting thing about Lazarus, Lazarus is that's the last we hear about him he's never mentioned again in the New Testament he was not a hero of the early church um there are, of course, a lot of legends that have arisen around him, but as far as the New Testament record is concerned, he is not mentioned again. But he did die. You know how we know he died? Because there's a tomb of Lazarus that's been there for many, many centuries in the little town of Bethany. You can go and visit it, you can walk down the steps to the tomb. There are not one but two great churches and a mosque because the uh, Muslim faith also honors this part of Jesus' teaching, Jesus' life. That all commemorate Lazarus over his grave because he is dead as dead can be. He died. What was the point? I'm I'm trying to think about Jesus' troubled spirit mentioned in verse 33 and again in verse 38. Because they had misinterpreted, first of all, that conversation about him being asleep, now he's going to wake up. If you've been with a loved one as they passed, you know. You hope they're just asleep. That they're going to wake up. But no, it was more real than that. It was physical death. And Jesus counteracted that with physical life as he brought him out of the tomb. But Jesus knew there was something even deeper going on. That there was a spiritual death and that Lazarus was being raised spiritually as well. People keep seeing dead bones But they're not eternal bones. They're physical bones. Lazarus was not just sleeping. He was physically dead. He's not just physically dead. He was spiritually dead. And when Jesus, Jesus lifted him from the grave, conquering physical death, that was just to be a symbol for the sisters and for others that there was something bigger going on just as sleeping and waking up is a picture of death and resurrection. So we, we see the dead bones, but they're the dead physical bones. The ruined churches, the Christians whose lives don't end up very heroically. Our own failures in life. The dead bones of who we are. The hopelessness of life on earth. And after all is said and done, you're going to be in the ground. They're not going to build churches over you, but you'll just be as surely in the ground. But even faithful, loving followers like Mary and Martha and Lazarus didn't quite get it. They didn't quite get it until after Jesus' resurrection. But he taught them right in the middle of this one of the most powerful truths that we hold on to ourselves today in verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me even though they die will live and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die can these bones live can these bones live if you fully embrace the truth about jesus resurrection Whatever they do with your physical bones, your eternal bones will never die. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, do you get it? Lazarus, you stink now. And you'll kind of stink in your life. In a few years, you'll die and really stink. You'll be so dead that there'll be three churches above your tomb to remind you to stay there. But man, my brother, my sister, your eternal bones will never die. Never, never die. And then shortly after that, Jesus proved it by walking out of that tomb and showing them an eternal, glorified body, a promise of their own eternal life. It's what we all hold on to by faith. Can these bones live? You can't kill these bones. Dear Lord, thank you for such assurance. Thank you, Lord, for such victory. Thank you, Lord, for the internal proof that nobody can shake Thank you, Lord, for your word of affirmation right now. Through Jesus Christ. Amen. We meet in Altadena every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Pacific, both in the sanctuary and on YouTube. Most other events will be starting up soon. But if you need prayer now, please reach out to us at AOL.com. And again, as always, we pray God's blessings on you this week.